Praise to you, Lord Christ, indeed. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. I'm not sure what uh, picture comes to mind for you when you hear uh, the collect read, uh, or when you hear the words of the creed that say that, that Jesus will come again to judge the quick and the dead. Um, maybe that idea of a judge uh, inspires you uh, with a, a sense of kind of foreboding and dread. I mean, maybe that's the picture that you kind of get. My, my Sunday school teachers growing up uh, kind of had that picture. Um, you see, here at the cathedral, we believe in safeguarding. So um, what we do as part of our child protection policies, we, we run background checks on everybody. I grew up as a missionary kid uh, in the inner city of Madrid, Spain, uh, in a church plant working with um, ex-offenders, drug addicts, alcoholics, and the marginalized of Madrid. So all of my um, Sunday school teachers would have failed their child safeguarding background checks. They just would have popped. So when you hear the word judge, maybe you're thinking, someone knows I have a rap sheet. Um, or maybe, maybe it's not like that. Maybe it's slightly different. That When you hear the word judge, it's a bit like me. Um, when you were nine years old, you remember walking in to the county courthouse there in Pinellas County. And uh, then all of a sudden, everyone says, all rise. And you're thinking, man, Pete, you must have been a really bad dude really naughty boy as a nine-year-old to be in court. Um, no, I was just visiting my aunt, and everyone said, all rise for the honorable Judge Tepper. So you might have a different kind of perspective of, of what it means when it says that, that Jesus will come as judge, as a king to judge. Maybe it's a, a very comforting image. Maybe it's a family image. Or maybe it's a not-so-family image. But Jesus tells us three things in this Olivet Discourse that we just read. Three things. And we can see that by looking at three verses, if you will. Um, let's look at verse 27. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Then look at verse 28. Raise up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And then thirdly, let's look at verse 36. But stay awake at all times and stand before the Son of Man. See the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and great glory. What does that phrase mean to us firstly? Well, let me quote um, the Old Testament scholar and principal of the Anglican Seminary of Trinity, Bristol, um, Alec Mateer. And, and he used to say this. Um, He'd say, when you say those lines of the creed, and it says that he will come again to judge the quick and the dead, he says, I, I, I wonder if you'll just be able to indulge me a bit. Um, if I could just paraphrase that in a more modern way. You see, when the creed was written all those years ago, it's not that Alec Mateer is saying, I'd like you to deny something about the creed. He's saying, let's put it in a way that means something to us in this 21st century. And he said, think of it this way. He will come again to gather his people to himself. He will come again to gather his people for himself. You see, the first thing that Jesus said, he says, see the Son of Man. 
What God wants us to get today is he wants to give us a new perspective this Advent to see this once in future king the way that he should be seen, not the way that, that our, our backgrounds or our baggage or our past lets us see Jesus, but in a new way. See the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power. He's coming to bring his people for himself. And that's what we read in 1 Thessalonians. If you think about that, Paul says that, 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 that Christ will come with a great trumpet sound and with all the saints in the air and we will meet him as he descends to earth to rule again. You see, this Advent we celebrate the once and future king. But what Jesus is saying is, I want you to look back, not just forward. But you see, in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus looks way into the future. And then he also looks, not just in the, in the future of the universe, but he looks into the future, into his very close future in the next couple of days. And what he tells us is this. He says, in order to look way into the future and even to look just a few days in the future, we have to look back to make sense of that. And he says, the Son of Man will come like a cloud. Well, that's reminiscent to us of, of the, the story in the Pentateuch of, in the first five books of the Bible where, where God guides the people of Israel through the burning desert sands of the Sinai and he, he covers them with a cloud so they're not burnt, so they're not dehydrated. He covers them with his glory. And so, you see, Jesus is referencing, saying the Son of Man isn't just uh, this idea of a good teacher. He's the very glory and imprint of Yahweh himself. Jesus is evening is even hearkening back to, to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 where he says that, Behold, I saw the ancient of days, and one approached him as the Son of Man, and to him was given dominion and power. And he came on the clouds with great glory. God wants to give us a new perspective so that we can see Jesus for who he truly is. You see, on this pulpit, we have a, a phenomenal hymn writer by the name of, of Philip Brooks. And he, he tells us this, he says, he says, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. And that's what our collect tells us, that Jesus Christ came in great humility. But you see, Jesus also tells us that he's not going to come back in just simple humility, but he's going to come in great power and glory and majesty. He's going to become not quietly, quietly, but glaringly and obviously they will see the Son of Man. The second thing that Jesus tells us in this discourse is he says, raise up your head because your redemption is drawing near. And you see, Jesus isn't just this, this king or this judge that thunders commands, but he's someone who redeems us. One of his titles is Redeemer, but the idea of redemption doesn't always click with us in our 21st century. But the the Greek word, there are two Greek words that are used for redemption. And, and these might help us unpack a little bit more what it means that our redemption is drawing near. You see, Jesus says, lift up your hearts. Lift up your eyes. Get this new perspective and see your redemption is drawing near. One of the pictures of redemption is the picture of a marketplace. And where, 
where there is chattel slavery, where there are people being sold and bought and bartered for. And the word in Greek for redemption is this idea that you're being bought back from someone to someone. You see, St. Paul tells us this, that in him, we, in Jesus Christ, we have been delivered from the dominion of sin and darkness and been transferred to the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. I love that. We've been delivered from the bondage to the slave master of sin and the devil. And we have been delivered into the dominion of the Son whom the Father loves. That's the first picture we get in, of the word redemption in Greek. The second picture that we get is, is not so much of, of a marketplace. Um, how would I say it? It's, it's more like a, a supermarket. And what do I mean by that? So picture yourself walking with a shopping cart um, and you're you know, putting stuff inside that shopping cart. You might have done a little bit of Black Friday shopping this week. Uh, you may not. You may be waiting for Cyber Monday, doing the thing of just shopping with your thumbs. But there's this moment when you're walking through the shop and, and you realize that everything that's in that shopping trolley, that's inside that, that cart, um, belongs to Sam Walton and his heirs. Or maybe you're just not that posh or you're more posh than that. You, wouldn't, you would never be caught dead shopping with Walmartians. Um, and you instead shop at Whole Foods. Um, and, uh, but there's still this moment where everything in your shopping cart belongs to Jeff Bezos and his heirs. It doesn't belong to you. And until you get to the checkout, and until you tender that cash or that electronic receipt, um, you can then triumphantly say, this is mine. It no longer belongs to Sam Walton. It belongs to me. It's this idea of covering the cost. That's the second picture that we get of redemption, that, that the cost is covered. Jesus Christ covers our iniquity. He covers our sin. He covers and pays the cost, this once and future king. He says, Jesus tells us, raise up your heads and see for your redemption draws nigh. That's why in the prayer of the great thanksgiving, we will have these words, which in Latin simply mean, sourcem corda, which means lift up your hearts, get this new perspective and see that redemption that is drawing near. But the third thing that we get is this. We get this verse that says, after you've done everything, to stand, to stand before the Son of Man. Stay awake at all times, praying that you have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Oftentimes when I read the lectionary, we'll get to verses that it will say, read to verse 34a or read 34b but skip a sort of thing. Um, this verse tells us that there's this idea of dissipation. That's what verse 34 says. Um, but the NRSV doesn't really give us a good translation of that. In fact, I don't think any of our translations do a good job on that word dissipation. You know what the word is? Hangover. Okay? Maybe some of y'all might know. You know someone that was nursing that after Thanksgiving, right? But the whole idea is that after a little bit of dissipation, you find it really hard to stand. The book of Isaiah talks about the intoxicating nature of sin. Sin intoxicates us so that we can't make right choices, so that we can't stand. And returning to this analogy of the courtroom, the courtroom of heaven, if you will, 
The book of Job tells us of this courtroom of heaven where, um, if you will, the district attorney steps in. His name is Hasatan, the accuser. The district attorney, and I'm, look, I'm not saying that district attorneys are the devil, okay? If you are a district attorney, that's not what I'm saying about you today. What I am saying is that this accuser walks in and he starts accusing Job before the Lord. And if you were at all watching the news in the last couple of weeks, there, there was a couple of trials where, where they were on TV, watched by many, many people. But there's this point where the judge asks the accused to stand. to says, stand. And hear the verdict pronounce. Verdict, the true saying. What is true about you? And then you'll hear the, 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 the word spoken by your peers, by a jury, by the judge, and there will be a pronouncement over you. And in the American legal system, that jury will pronounce two things over you. It will either say guilty or not guilty. And, and perhaps you and I are just thinking, you know, well, I'm not that naughty, so I'm really not going to get a not, I'm not going to really get a guilty. I'm going to get a not guilty sort of thing. But the best you can hope for in the American justice system is not guilty. That is all that can be pronounced over your life. But you see, when the Son of Man comes, not with just humility, but with great glory and majesty, He will pronounce over you if you've placed your faith and trust in Him, in His redemption that is drawn nigh, not your redemption, not what you have worked up for yourself, not all your good deeds, not all your good actions, but His righteousness, that righteous branch of David. He will stand up as the judge, jury, and he will say either guilty or he will not say, he will say, unfortunately I have to break it to you, he probably will not say not guilty to you if you placed your faith and trust in him. He's going to say something even more beautiful. He will say innocent. There's not a single courtroom in this world that can declare your innocence. All we can say is the preponderance of evidence. Or we can say beyond a reasonable doubt, we think they're not guilty. But I don't have this full assurance. But you see, Jesus' reign, his death, burial, and resurrection is the guarantee of your innocence. And that's why St. Paul says, put on the full armor of God. And after having done everything to stand, to stand in his righteousness alone and in his righteousness complete. Let me read this Reformation collect that Cranmer penned in 1549. It is a beautiful collect. It's, it's, it's unique of its kind because it, it, before 1549, it didn't exist. And he's paraphrasing, Cranmer's paraphrasing both Matthew 21 and, and Romans 13. He says, Almighty God, Give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light now in the time of this mortal life in which your son Jesus Christ came to us in great humility that on the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge the living and the dead we may rise to the life immortal through him who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit one God, now and forever. Amen.